Today's episode is sponsored by you, my Patreon subscribers. Join the family by visiting patreon.com forward slash Nalini Tranquim. Who do you think you are that you've got a bad attitude that you can't drop your kids off at school when you've been given this incredible opportunity to serve the church and to serve God and to serve his people? Welcome to today's episode of Under the Rug. I am your host, Nalini Tranquim, and I am so excited for today's episode because I am on the couch with my firstborn son, Ramon. Hello, Ramon. Hello, all. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's such a joy to have you. My gosh, I'm so excited. So, uh, okay, my screen has died. So, okay, you have to forgive me. I just need a momentary mum bragfest, if you don't mind. Just want to tell you a little bit about Ramon. He is the founder and CEO of a company called Tyrion Green, which is, and I'm just reading it on my phone because I want to make sure I get it right. It is a creative production house based in Melbourne that creates and delivers strategic video content that enhances your brand and helps your company communicate the most effective form of your story. Isn't that fantastic? From studying your goals to idea conceptualization and creating the final product, Tyrion Green weaves their magic into their clients' ideas, helping them identify and communicate their true essence. I love that. So I will make sure that if you're listening to this and thinking, oh my goodness, I need Ramon, I will make sure that his contact details are in the description field of today's podcast. So Ramon, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a joy to have you. So we're doing things a little bit differently today because Ramon is actually going to host today's episode because he is interviewing his mama (laughs) on a topic that is, wow, very close to my heart. And I've just realized I don't have tissues, which I probably should have. But he's actually going to be interviewing me on my own journey of abuse within the church. And so I'm actually going to hand over to him now. And um, let's see where this conversation leads us. Indeed. Well, thank you so much for having me once again. And hello, all. My name is Ramon. Um, I think this is a really important series of discussions that will be taking place over the next few months because uh, the journey that you've taken throughout life and the journey that you've taken both in and out of the church, uh, the way in which you've led your life and the people you've come into contact with, I feel like there's a lot of nuggets of wisdom and a lot of revelations that you've acquired over the years that are going to be very pertinent to the current church landscape. Uh, as well as just the people's walks in general throughout leadership, be that at work, be that through religious organizations or elsewhere. Uh, So I'm very excited to get into these conversations. Thank you. I'm very excited to see where this will take us. Yeah, me too. uh, To start things off, I guess, uh, why under the rug? Yeah, why under the rug? Okay, well, we did produce a little video literally called Why Under the Rug, where we give the context behind this this podcast, I have had in my heart for a long time, I guess, just this unease in my spirit that there is so much happening in people's day-to-day lives, both in and out of the church, where people are turning to the church for the answers, but they're not necessarily getting them on Sunday morning. 
which I understand. Yes, some of this stuff we can't talk about from the pulpit. I get that. But then where is it discussed, you know? And you go online and there's a myriad of different voices of people scathing the church, ripping the church to pieces, you know, because they desperately want answers. But then surely we need to be bringing these answers to the table. And so Under the Rug really is a platform for us to have these hard conversations, not because we've got all the answers, but because we've done life. And over the years, we've, like you said, accumulated some wisdom and understanding and how things work. And and I, I just feel like as we bring these matters to the table, it's actually going to lead to people's healing and restoration. You know, it's like taking the Band-Aid off a wound and giving it the sunlight that it needs to be able to recover, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah, so that's kind of my heart behind the And podcast. that is important to clarify that, you know, you don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers, but it's about bringing together a multitude of different vignettes and exactly. anecdotes in order to create a more full image yes. that I do believe many people already resonate just with the premise. And I think as we unearth more little tidbits here and there, yeah. uh, that there's really going to be a cry out from other individuals to have their stories aired. Oh, 100%. Um, and to see change made a focus. Absolutely. Absolutely. I Yeah, I really believe that in my heart. Hey? Yeah. So I guess... It might be important then to take things all the way back to before any of the abuse, before any of the issues within the church, how did everything begin and what's the origin story here? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I will, obviously I talk about this in my book, The Orange Hue, so I don't want to talk, you know, to take you guys too far back because we want to stick to the theme today, which is about the abuse that I experienced. But yes, let's go back. So I want to start today by um, Sandra and I, my hubby and I, and our two small children at the time, were stepping foot back into church for the first time after a good three, four years of being out of the church because of past hurt, right? And I know that often happens. You know, we get we get wounded in the church, and so we think, or we come to the surmise that this is not for me. This is not going to work. And that was certainly me for a time. And so we had come back to church. It was, you know, the early days of stepping foot back into, you know, a congregational setting, corporate worship again, which, oh, for me was exhilarating. I had missed that, you know, that, that unified worship. And, and so we were on this, I guess I can only describe it as almost like the honeymoon phase again you know, of this rekindled relationship with the church. And so, you know, we were, we were getting connected, we were plugging in, we were, you know, joining connect group and um, slowly, slowly as my walls began to drop and I began to let the pastor and his family in and, you know, the congregation in again, I began to slowly start getting more involved. And of course, for me, that was worship. I mean, I'm a worshiper. So, you know, the pastor had tried to ask me a few times if I would, you know, consider becoming a part of the worship team. But because that was a sore area for me, I didn't want to. But found myself slowly, slowly getting back into the swing of church life and was loving it. And it was exhilarating. We were seeing growth in the church like I had never experienced before. We were experiencing 
the move of the Holy Spirit in our services, like, was just, oh, like I said, honeymoon. And so for me, it was this, wow, I have finally connected up with what I feel in my heart I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Which is worship and ministry edifying the body of Christ, which I feel like I was put on this earth to do. Right. So then that sounds like quite the victory lap almost. Yeah. Kind of going from apprehension about the church into, you know, full on ministry, uh, building up the church in a way that's tangible, that you see the change, you see the difference every Sunday. So I guess then the question becomes, when did things start to change? What was the shift? Yes. Okay. Well, I was asked to come on board as worship director, um, still on a voluntary basis, which I was more than happy to do. I loved what I was doing. I wanted to be a part of this. And, you know, it felt like, yes, okay, now's my time to fulfill my calling. And so I had this really beautiful balance of mum life, you know, looking after my two little ones, uh, business life, which was involved in my hubby's business and doing all the books, but also my church life, which was, you know, taking on this position as worship director. So I was in this groove and we were beginning to see the fruit of this groove. Where the shift happened was actually when I signed contracts to come on board as staff. Interesting. That's when everything changed. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And why do you think that is? Why do you think it was the signing of the contract that you're now on staff, that you're on board in a paid capacity, that the shift began? Because surely there's some kind of... uh, atmosphere or culture that would have propagated something like that that now that you are owned presumably by the church you're on the books that there's a shift in terms of treatment and communication yeah it um it's interesting because i didn't see it coming i didn't think that coming on board as staff would result in the shift Funnily enough, when I was offered the position, instead of having this sense of elation because I have finally achieved what I feel like I've been created to achieve and to fulfill in my calling, I actually had warning bells in my system. And I remember driving home from the church office that very first day when I was offered the position. I was thinking to myself in the car on the way home, gosh, I don't know if I should be doing this. But at the same time, I was like, what is wrong with you, woman? You've wanted to work for the church your whole life. This is, you know, this has kind of been what you've been gearing towards, you know, in terms of ministry. So what, where's the hesitation coming from? So in my mind's eye, I was thinking this is just the enemy coming to, you know, come and steal from me. But funnily enough, I had warning signs in my spirit, even on the day that I was offered the position. But of course, put those um, niggles aside, of course, signed up to it and went, yep, I'm in. I, I want to do this. What changed? It's weird. It was like that sense of ownership now. And I 
and being paid by you, my boss, he was now not my pastor, he was now my boss, to fulfill this calling that's on my life. But I now needed to adapt to how that calling looked in my pastor's eyes, not in my heart's or my spiritual eyes, or even just my mental and emotional eyes for what was ahead of me, but in my pastor's eyes. And so in his eyes, it was, okay, you're no longer volunteering. So this is now a full-time paid position. So I expect you in the office Monday to Friday, you know, nine to five, those are your working hours. And that conversation had not taken place before the signing of the contracts. So it was almost as if I had gone in blind. You know, I was in this groove of worship director, mom, uh, career woman, and supporting my husband in business, and felt like that was the rhythm that my life was meant to look like, was offered this position, and thought that this rhythm that we had formed was going to continue, only to sign, and then, okay, everything's different. You're now no longer able to drop your kids off at school every day. You're now no longer available to pick them up and to help them with their homework. You're no longer now going to be able to help your husband with the business because you're going to be at the church office five days a week fulfilling your worship director's role. Then first week in at the office, it was, okay, so what do I do now? Like, what does worship director role look like Monday to Friday, eight hours a day? Like, what does that actually look like? Well, there's only so much time that's needed for songwriting or that can be invested into songwriting and, you know, team development and team pastoralship and rehearsals before you're like, okay, I'm twiddling my thumb. What do I do now? So then I ended up being sort of general dog's body, which is fine if I had known that that was what I was going into. You know, so now I'm doing the dishes and I'm doing administrative tasks in the office that I'm really not wired for or called for. But then it would be wrong of me to feel that way because now it's as if I'm arrogant and pig-headed because I've come in as worship director, but you're putting your nose up to doing the dishes. Right. You know what I mean? Okay, because... It sounds like an air of toxicity kind of started creeping in once the dotted lines had been signed. Um, I am curious, though, before we go too far into that, to know how going onto the payroll impacted your fire for your passion, that being worship. Did going onto the payroll have a drastic impact or was it more so the other mitigating circumstances surrounding that? Because I know there are a lot of creatives out there who pay attention to what you do. And I feel that a lot of people uh, find themselves digging themselves into ruts where on one hand, I want to pursue my passions. I want to become a creative. I want to create music. I want to create art and I want to be able to live off of it. On the other hand, there's this fear of either selling out or this fear of turning your passion into work and being unable to split the two reasonably enough that you can still enjoy the process. Yes. So I'm curious to know if being on the payroll actually impacted on your desire to act as a worship leader 
And if it didn't, uh, what you might have to say for creatives out there who are struggling with that transition? Yes, that's a very, very good question. I know from within the first week of being on payroll, my heart became disheartened. Um, And I can only describe it as that passage where it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I felt that in week one because my heart was worship. And this was before any of the serious issues began to take hold. Yes, absolutely. So within that first week, I found myself almost beating myself up. Like, what is wrong with you? You have been given this incredible opportunity to be basically like second in line to the senior pastor in terms of standing within the church. And, you know, you're on that, on that platform every week, you know, and you are now, you have now been elevated to this position of worship director. You know, everybody looks at this position as being a really elevated position. So I was seeing my heartache almost as I was being rebellious to what was being given to me. Right. And so I found myself doing the dishes um, in the morning of like my second day in after having to after having to drop my children off at grandma's to drop the kids off at school and being sad that I couldn't be there to see my kids at school. And and now I'm here doing dishes for the office staff, which I don't mind doing like I'm okay to do the dirty stuff like I'll get dirty. But there was this guilt and this shame on me that. I'm now entitled, you know, who do you think you are that you're, you've got a bad attitude that you can't drop your kids off at school when you've been given this incredible opportunity to serve the church and to serve God and to serve his people as a worship director. And the, the, the self beatings as it were started very subtly, but very early on and continued as the abuse then began to escalate. So what do I say to the, to the person who is in a similar position, right? Where you have this God given calling upon your life that you have moments within your career or within your, you know, your church environment that you can fulfill that. For me, it was Sunday morning, right, mm. or Sunday evening services. That's when I felt like I was in my zone mm. on that stage, leading people into the presence of God. That was my thing, okay? But for the rest of the week, there is this disconnect between my calling and what I find myself consuming my time with that is even outside of my other loves, you know, my husband and his business and my children but it's consuming my time. My goodness, I had to work so hard at not allowing my heart to be hardened so early on and keep the main thing the main thing, which was I have the privilege and the honor of being able to lead worship. However, I will still put it out as a warning to people who find themselves in a similar sort of situation, but where there is abuse involved, and you're going to hear more of this in our conversation shortly, Ha, then it's not about 
weathering through the storm and just hanging in there for those moments where you are released to your calling, then there has to be a cutting off because that is toxic and it is not healthy. It is not conducive to your calling. All right. But we'll get into that. Okay. It's interesting that you say that these seeds of doubt and these feelings of guilt had already started to manifest even before any third parties were explicitly involved. Yeah. So while signing on the dotted line was, in a sense, uh, something of a coming of age almost, uh, or a rite of passage, uh, the opening to another season, uh, it's interesting that while we look back at your story and we predominantly focus on abuse of leadership, abuse of power, that to an extent you had already prepared yourself in your mind to be more susceptible to what was to come. Because what you're saying now definitely mirrors what we're going to discuss later on in that these feelings of you don't deserve to be in the position that you're in. Yes. You've been granted this amazing thing. You yeah. don't deserve to be upset about it. You yeah. don't deserve to complain about the small things, irrespective of how far away they may be from what you're actually called to do. Yeah. You just need to deal with it, come in every week, yeah. do your thing, yeah. clock out. Um, that is quite interesting. I think we might put a pin in it here. Um, I do think it's very important that people know that the full details of this tale are available in book form. Yes. The Orange Hue, which is your full story. Yes. It covers the depths of the abuse as well as uh, the lights at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Uh, it covers all of the positives along the way, but also acts as something of a lesson, something that people can examine and people can look into for answers to their own problems because I do feel that this is a very pertinent issue, yeah, abuse within church leadership. For sure. And I think as we discuss further and go into the nitty-gritties of how things actually went down, uh, people are definitely going to be resonating with what it yep. is you've had to say and what it is you've been through. Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks, Ramon. If this podcast has impacted you and the conversations we are having resonate with you, we need your support to keep doing what we're doing. When you support us on Patreon, you'll gain access to an exclusive community and safe space where you can connect with Nalini and other under-the-ruggers like yourself. You'll also be able to contribute your thoughts, stories, experiences, and ideas as we grow together. Visit patreon.com forward slash Nalini Tranquil and join the Under the Rug community today.